Well, good morning. Great to be with you all this morning. Before we uh, get started, if you are new here, let me just say welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name's Ken DeLage. I serve as the senior pastor here. We're in the middle of a series called Mercy Hill Values, where we are going through the things that we most value as a local church. If you are newer with us, and I'll say new within the last three years, this is also serving as our new members class. So we're just preaching through the new members class throughout the summer here. And uh, hopefully, if that applies to you, if, if you haven't become a member yet, you're able to join us for lunch afterwards. Uh, but I wanted to let you know that we have a resource center in the back, in the back hallway right here. And it is set up right now to match the series that we're going through. It's set up for Mercy Hill Values. And I wanted you to know about that so that you can go and take a look at some of the resources we have there. I wanted to highlight just a couple. Uh, first of all, uh, we've got multiple, multiple copies of this very tiny white book entitled, We Believe, A Statement of Faith. And this is our statement of faith as a local church, Mercy Hill Statement of Faith, as well as the one that we share in common with Sovereign Grace Churches. So it's our together statement of faith. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with it, I encourage you to pick one up in the back. If you're coming to lunch today, we have one for you already in that room in the membership packet that we're going to give you. Uh, another one I can highlight back there is the Sovereign Grace Journal. Uh, this comes out once a quarter from our denomination on various topics. This quarter's uh, topic is our shared values. I thought, wow, I don't write this, but wow, like our shared values, here we go. And so what you're going to see is that the stuff we're preaching and what we're talking about as a local church is what we value together as a denomination. And so this does kind of a, I mean, as deep a dive as you can get in a small book, but a deep dive in each of these different shared values. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about those, encourage you to pick up one of these. And then finally, as Sean mentioned, we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today. And if I could recommend one book on the Holy Spirit, I'd recommend this one. But if I could recommend two books on the Holy Spirit, the second one would be Keep in Step with the Spirit by J.I. Packer. Uh, excellent book on what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life and one where we're seeking Him, seeking to be dependent upon Him. Uh, so there's several copies of this out there as well, which you can pick up. Great. Well, I love nuclear power because I'm a nerd. <laughs> that's just how that goes. And every once in a while, that's just got to kind of come out when I preach. And I know it's a strange thing to say. Who likes nuclear power? Who thinks about nuclear power? I'll tell you who does. Somebody who's been on a submarine thinks about nuclear power. Uh, the reactor was simply amazing. It was simply amazing. <laughs> Buried in the heart of the ship in a, a room you don't go in, uh, that you can't get to, is this source of power which enabled the submarine to do all kinds of things. And if we were sitting still and ordered up an all-ahead flank, a, a really fast <coughs> bell, the entire ship would begin to shudder at the power that that thing was putting out into the propeller. And the propeller would turn with such force that the entire ship would begin to turn sideways underwater 
in response to that, the torque being put on it by the propeller. And not only did it have that kind of power, but it could do that for 20 years without refueling. Like, what? 20 years it could run. And, and today it's even longer than, than it was on when, I was when I was in. It, it, can, it can circle the globe multiple, multiple, multiple times without needing to stop for fuel. That's incredible. And then, of course, it's on a submarine, and what the, the one big requirement was, it uses no oxygen. We like to save the air for the people, you know? And, the, and engines tend to be air hogs when they're running, but this one requires no air whatsoever. And hidden deep within is almost this miracle of power. And it enabled everything, everything we did. Everything that the submarine did happened because of this. The, the missions and the travels, the deterrence and the battles, the... The, the, the missions that we were sent on, the, the weapons that were launched, everything happened because of this one source of power. This morning, we're going to be talking about the nuclear reactor of the Christian life. The hidden source of power and strength and ability and capability for the believer. I think it's something we might not give enough attention to just in our day-to-day thinking, in our in our thought life as believers, because without this source of power, friend, you wouldn't be a believer. There's no new birth without this, no conversion. There's no growth in Christ without this. There's no affection for God. There's no presence of God in our lives. There's no fruit of his work in our lives. In fact, the, the ship of our lives drifts to a stop and bobs about helplessly in the waves apart from this. And of course, we're not speaking of a nuclear reactor and we're also not speaking of an impersonal force. We're speaking, I trust with holy reverence, of a person. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself. I believe we should pray right now that he would be at work the preaching of his word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be present among us. Would you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Would you cultivate affection for you and gratitude for you and dependence upon you? And would you glorify Christ? Through this time together, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I mean to unpack the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we could grow in affection for him and gratitude for him and dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And at this point, we kind of are jumping into your notes. Does everybody have notes? Yeah? Everybody good? Okay. We've got, a, I think we've got a few more in the back if, if you need them, but uh, we're, we're just about to jump in. At the beginning, uh, we have this word that the title for this morning is continuationist, and I think that's a bit obscure, so I'm going to just start up front and explain what we mean by that word. We, what we mean by that is that we believe that the empowering work 
of the Holy Spirit, which we see in our Bibles, continues today. All right? The empowering work of the Holy Spirit, what we see in our Bibles, particularly in the New Testament, continues today. Some people call this being charismatic. And I am comfortable with that word, charismatic. We are a charismatic church. But here's the reality, that the word charismatic often comes with some baggage from folks. Maybe it's in a church that you grew up in, you were a part of. Maybe somebody that you know was one of those crazy charismatics, and you're kind of, oh, you know. And so while I, the, the term accurately defines us, I think it brings baggage which might not be helpful. Where's the word continuationist? Nobody knows what that means. So you're just able to kind of tell them what it means without having to wade through the baggage. But I'm, I'm telling you that, that it means charismatic so that we're not hiding anything. That's, that's what we mean by it. We mean that the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that you see in your New Testament continues today. And that that can be things like the miraculous gift of healing or the gift of tongues or, or the gift of prophecy or a word of knowledge, those, those exact kinds of things is what we are talking about this morning. But before we get to those things, I want to back up because I want to put those in their context of just the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and make sure that we grasp the totality of it rather than focusing narrowly on one part of it. So number one in your outline, the Holy Spirit empowers new life. The Holy Spirit empowers new life. If you are born again, you are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that brings us from death to life. It's by the will of God the Father, and it's by the work of God the Son on the cross. But the actual execution of it is by the Holy Spirit in us. That is giving us the the gift of new life or regeneration. Now the Old Testament predicted this in the verse in front of you in Ezekiel 36, where God promises this for the New Testament. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the foretelling of the work of the spirit in bringing people to new life where we're given new hearts, new affections, new desires to love God and follow God and serve God. Then in John chapter three, Jesus is explaining this to Nicodemus. Partway down the passage that you have in front of you, it says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So if you are born again, and that phrase comes from John chapter 3, then you are born again of the Spirit, by the Spirit. He is the one who gives this gift. So let me, let me begin, as we talk about kind of the Holy Spirit's work, by saying, we believe in the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit here at Mercy Hill. And we believe that the most miraculous thing the Holy Spirit does is this right here. 
is bringing dead people to life. That's a miracle, friends. Tongues and prophecy and healing, physical healing, that stuff pales in comparison to bringing someone from hating God to loving God, from blinded by the enemy to seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You are looking for miracles? That's a miracle every time. And it's the biggest one. So, number one, the Holy Spirit empowers new life. Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers new vision. New vision, that is that we are able to see things differently. Before you're a Christian, the enemy is at work to blind you to seeing Christ accurately. To blind you from seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. You can see this in 2 Corinthians 4.4 where he's called the God of this world. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The work of Satan amongst unbelievers is to blind them to Jesus. Now, it's the case that unbelievers can know a lot of true things about Jesus, but they cannot know the glory of God revealed in Jesus, who is the image of God. They don't see the light of the gospel. They might see facts and disjointed things. They might know more facts about Jesus than some of us here, but they will miss his glory because they're blinded by the enemy. On the other side, the spirit removes those blinders and the spirit gives sight. Second Corinthians again, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul just did there? The creator God, you remember Genesis chapter 1, who said, let there be light, has said it again in your heart. That's amazing. A creative work of giving you the ability to see the light of Christ in your own life. Well, once the Spirit begins to reveal Jesus, that's what he keeps doing in the life of the believer. John 15, 26 ends by saying, he will bear witness about me. What's the Holy Spirit come to do? Bear witness about Jesus. Help God's people who've never seen Jesus see Jesus, right? None of us were there. None of us were there on Resurrection Sunday. None of us saw the feeding of the 5,000. We weren't there for that, and God knew that. And so he sent the Holy Spirit to bear witness about Christ so that throughout the ages and the millennia, the church would be connected to her living head, Jesus himself. We're connected by the Holy Spirit. He shines the, the spotlight on Christ, puts the attention on Christ, draws our gaze to Christ, helps remove fallacies about Christ. This is the work of the the Spirit. As John 16 says, He will glorify me, for He'll take what is mine and declare it to you. The work of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus. So, you might have in your mind an idea of what a charismatic church looks like or should look like. Maybe you think of everyone speaking in tongues or you think of miracles happening 
Or maybe you think of like a certain worship tempo or worship style or worship intensity. Maybe you think of the prophetic gifts being used or the gift of tongues being on display. And and let me say, of all of these things, Lord, do it. Lord, give us your gifts. May our times of worship be just in your presence and beautiful. May you give us every gift that you would be pleased to give. But I will tell you that none of those things makes that church distinctly spirit-filled. There is one thing you can look at to say, is that a spirit-filled church? And it is this. It is a church which sees and savors Jesus Christ. That's a church that's spirit-filled. Because what does the spirit come to do? It comes to glorify Jesus and point to Jesus. In other words, a spirit-filled church is not spirit-centered. A spirit-filled church is not gift-centered. It's not prophecy-centered. It's not miracle-centered. It's not even experience-centered. A spirit-filled church is not spirit-centered. A spirit-filled church is Christ-centered because that's what he came to do, is exalt and point to Jesus. So you're looking for a charismatic church? Find one that's looking to Christ. Find one that's looking to him. Page two and point number three. Holy Spirit empowers new life. The Holy Spirit empowers new vision. The Holy Spirit empowers new growth. New growth. This is the growth in our Christian life called sanctification. Transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. Making us more and more like Christ over time. There's this caricature of Christianity that says something like, you know, well... That's a strange religion. You know, you just believe Jesus did everything and then you don't have to change or nothing. Like, you just trust him. And I think one of the responses is, yeah, just try to be filled with the Spirit and not change. Try that on. Because he came to make us more like Christ. His work is real and active in the life of the believer. Now, yes, we're called to participate in that and keep in step with him and walk in the spirit and all those kind of things. But, but friends, he is the Holy Spirit. His title is holy. And he works to make God's people holy. And he works to transform us from sinner to saint, from one who's hating God and hating others to one who's loving God and loving others. That is a miracle. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Following the Spirit is following Him into sanctification. It's following Him into holiness. And again, this is a miracle. (laughs) If this isn't obvious, uh, for you and me to be like Jesus, that's a miracle. <laughs> that's a miracle. That takes divine activity, not merely human effort. That takes the power of God at work in us. And again, this dwarfs the other things that we're going to talk about later, like miracles or tongues or prophecy. 
In fact, miracles and tongues and prophecy, they all exist to build up the church into the image of Christ. They exist for that. They exist to make us more holy, to make us more like Jesus. So they are servants. The gifts are servants towards our maturity and holiness and Christ-likeness. So I would ask again, what should a charismatic church look like? What should a continuationist church look like or a spirit-filled church? A spirit-filled church will be walking in holiness, will be growing in maturity, will be forsaking sin and embracing godliness. That is evidence of the Spirit's work and the Spirit's power. So the Holy Spirit empowers new life, new vision, new growth. And number four, He empowers new work. New work. We can get this from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus tells His disciples not to go out evangelizing right away, It says, go back to Jerusalem and wait because you're not ready for that new work yet. And then he pours out his spirit upon them and makes them ready. And here's how he predicts it in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes to empower this new work, this work of missions, this work of evangelism. At our church, we, we say that our, our mission is, is maturing and multiplying disciples through the power of the gospel. And, and the ability to mature, you want to you be involved in someone's life to help them mature into Christ-likeness? You better have the Holy Spirit helping you do that. You want to multiply disciples? The Holy Spirit's the one that gives the new birth. He is the one with the the power and the strength. And so, He empowers us for this new work. Now, often, He uses spiritual gifts for this ministry, for this mission, for this work that He's given us to do. Wayne Grudem describes a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. That's a pretty broad definition, and I like how broad that definition is. It's any ability. Any. Any ability that is empowered by the Spirit and used to serve God's people or make the mission go forward. And so one of the things we'd want to say about spiritual gifts is every believer has been given spiritual gifts. And, and sometimes this can get a little confusing or maybe even lost depending on the charismatic church that you've been in. But some charismatic churches will almost make you feel like, well, not every Christian has spiritual gifts. Let's just begin by saying every Christian has been given spiritual gifts, every single one. And we can see that in 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So we're all called to serve one another. How? Using the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Or 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, down at the end, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to whom has been given these 
manifestations of the Spirit, these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Who was given them? To each and every has been given the gifts of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of the, the church. Now, I don't have on your outline an entire list of spiritual gifts. Some, we might in our minds, have a list of, we'll say, ordinary gifts, and another get list of, say, extraordinary gifts. Here's some ordinary gifts in my thinking. Administration, serving, um, helps, hospitality, to some degree prayer, to some degree faith. These seem sort of ordinary. And then there's these more miraculous ones over here of the gift of prophecy or tongues or physical healing or a word of knowledge. So what I just did, perhaps you've done that in your mind. You kind of had these two different lists. Let me say that the scripture doesn't support that concept at all. Rather, spiritual gifts are any gift used by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the church. Whether we think it's extraordinary or not is of no relevance whatsoever. So every spiritual gift is empowered by the Holy Spirit, is to be used for the good of the body, is a blessing from God, is a gift from God, is in that sense miraculous and extraordinary. We would be wise to not have these two different gifts because every gift is equally empowered by the Spirit for the glory of God and the building up of the church. 1 Corinthians 12, which is on your previous page. I know you've switched over to page 3, but on your previous page, you might just go back for a second. It's the last thing there. This is what it says. And listen to this list of gifts as Paul put this together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Every spiritual gift is apportioned by the Holy Spirit according to His will and His plan for His church. If you've been in other charismatic churches, you might think we're a little bizarre, outside the norm. Because a lot of the things that I've experienced in other charismatic churches don't happen as often here. Like prophecy, like tongues, like miracles, those kinds kinds of things. And friends, let me just say, as a church, we're not going to seek to manipulate God into certain things. We're certainly not going to put on some kind of a false show or try to gin something up in our own strength. We recognize the sovereignty of the Spirit in apportioning his gifts. And so we sit under that. We say, yes, Lord. It may be that certain gifts are more needed in Africa than they're needed here in our current culture and time and what we're dealing with. Lord, you know. 
So we want to sit under his sovereignty, recognizing that he's the one who gives. He's the one who withholds. And he is good. And we will trust him with what gifts he gives to us. Now, that fits together with the last piece in here, which is that every believer should desire more gifts. So every believer has been given gifts, but we are also called to desire more. And this is the kind of desire that we can do trusting a sovereign God, content with what he's done, and yet leaning forward and saying things like, God, if they're from you, I want more. If you've called them gifts, who am I to say that I don't want some of those? If you've got them in your word, then I want to trust your word more than how I feel about that gift or what I've seen with that gift. Lord, give me every gift you would be pleased to give. And this is, this is the heart of what we're after when it comes to the spiritual gifts. Not manipulating God, not requiring everything, anything of Him, but anticipating from Him His goodness. Lord, would you give more gifts for the building up of this body? Not for our glory, but so that we would use this to serve one another. Because that's what the gifts do. Well, that would be helpful, wouldn't it? It'd build the church stronger in Christ through these gifts. Lord, would you do it? We get this idea from 1 Corinthians 14.1 where God writes, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So as we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're not content to just say, yeah, we believe those happen sometimes. We believe that God gives the, gives the gifts then I think we are beholden to 1 Corinthians 14, 1, which says, earnestly desire them. And you see what the whole verse says. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire them. Those might seem like, what? <laughs> like totally different concepts. Pursue love and let's talk about tongues or prophecy. Like what? What? Here, here's, it's, it's the same concept. It is love that gives us the desire to serve others. And it is gifts that give us the ability to serve others. Right? So pursue love so that as God gives you these gifts, you use it for others. You use it for the building up of the church. If you don't love others in your church, you're not going to be very eager for gifts to serve them. On the other side, as God grows our love for each other, then it's in that place that we can grow our desire. Lord, Lord, make me more fruitful. Lord, help me serve these folks better, these folks that I love. All right, bringing us down to number five. All of these are about the Holy Spirit empowering, and this last one, the Holy Spirit empowers new experience of God's presence. New experience of God's presence. It is the Holy Spirit that makes possible our knowledge of and relating to God. It is He who comes and dwells in us so that we can know spirit to spirit God Himself. The active presence of God is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He is the spirit of adoption. That is an intimate relational word. God doesn't need the spirit of adoption. He's our father and loves us as a father. We need the spirit of adoption so that we can feel the father's heart and respond to that and cry, yes, Abba, Father, I know that you love me. The presence of God is brought to us by the Holy Spirit himself. This is his most precious gift that he gives to the believer. A couple points to make on it. First, every believer has the Spirit. Friend, if you are in Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit. This is, again, something that can get a little confused as you talk about charismatic gifts. But here's the reality. If you were born again, you were born again by the Spirit, and He didn't leave when He was done with that. You still have Him. And the only reference in all of Scripture to the term baptism in the Holy Spirit, as much as that even is in Scripture, is in the verse I, I wrote right there, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized. See, you've got baptized and Spirit there. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Biblically speaking, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you became saved and he baptized you. You were baptized, you know, baptism in water, right? People come out wet, baptized in the spirit. What a fantastic picture that is. Just coated, covered, submerged, in the Holy Spirit of God himself. That is a picture of every believer from the moment they're saved. So every believer has the Spirit. However, next point in your outline, every believer should seek to be filled with the Spirit. And this is something I think charismatics have done very well over the years, which is to cultivate a hunger for the Spirit of God. And may we be hungry for the Spirit of God. Because while we've been, we've been recipients of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, I think it would be right to say we are like leaky vessels. I'm, I'm growing some plants in the house. No, I'm attempting to grow some plants in the house. Uh, my family would testify that it is an attempt. And I bought a little watering can to water these plants. And I filled it with water and I set it on the counter and I came back two hours later and the counter was covered in water. And I thought, well, one of the kids certainly messed with the watering can. So I filled up the watering can, cleaned up the counter, put it back on the counter and I came back in two hours and the counter was covered in water. And ah, I'm sending this back. I have a leaky water watering can. That's not going to do. And so I sent it back. Friends, we can be a little leaky when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And we are called daily to be filled afresh by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.18, this is written to Christians. It says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul was not forgetting, hey, Paul, hey, buddy, Christians have the Spirit. Why are you telling them this? I know. I know they have the Spirit. 
And I know that every day they need the Spirit. And they need to be filled afresh. So friends, the, the essence probably, if I were to define what does it mean to be a charismatic, I would say one who is seeking to be filled by the Spirit. That this, this is, this is our, our goal. Lord, fill me afresh. Lord, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I need you. Lord, I desire your presence. I love your presence. I want to be in your presence. How can I know your presence apart from the Holy Spirit of God? Fill me afresh today. Fill me afresh today. So that's Ephesians 5. And I think it's very similar to what Jesus says in John 15, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I think of this pursuit of the Spirit is one bit of language to describe the same thing as a pursuit of abiding in Christ. How do you abide in Christ? You abide in Christ through the Holy Spirit whom whom he sent to us. So the application for us there at the end of your um, notes is the The Spirit should be pursued by every believer. Let us pursue the Spirit. So that begins with recognizing we need Him. And I think for uh, for many of us, that would be probably the biggest application point, is to take it into our daily life. Oh yeah, I need the Holy Spirit today. Oh yeah, I, I don't have what it takes to to live in godliness, to love those around me, to walk as I'm called to walk, to to be on mission for the Lord. And so it begins with recognizing our need as, as a submarine needs its reactor to be useful in any way. We need the Holy Spirit. Well, if you recognize that need, I think the second comes rather directly to mind, seek to be filled by Him daily. Seek to be filled by the Spirit. Love the presence of God. Ask for the presence of God. Seek to dwell in the presence of God. This this book I was recommending by J.A. Packer says, keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit of God within you. Keep in step with Him. Slow down if He's slowed down. Speed up if He's sped up. Keep in step with Him. Now, as I tell you to love the presence of God, I want to warn you. The first part's not really a warning, but you'll see where I'm going. If you experience the presence of God, there will be a cultivation of feelings in your heart. And they're pretty great. I'd say they're some of the best things that humans can experience. It may be the best thing that humans can experience because we were made to glorify and enjoy Him. And if you're in the presence of God, there should be a responsive feeling in your heart to that. Praise God when that happens. But in telling you to pursue the presence of God, I'm, I'm concerned that you will then begin to pursue the feelings associated with the presence of God. And that can be a real trap where we're looking more to our feelings like, oh, God must not be near than to his promises. So friend, don't look to your feelings. Look to his promises. Look to his word. Ask God on the authority of his word to fill you with his spirit. And then trust that our good God has done so. 
so that we're depending on him and not gauging everything off of our latest feelings. <coughs> Last couple points as we seek to pursue the Spirit together. Repent and turn away from sin. If you're aware of sin in your life, then <clears throat> I think of it like being flexible in the Spirit's hands, like clay is flexible. He's seeking to bend us towards the Lord, to bend us away from sin. Be flexible in His hands. Keep in step with the Spirit. Repent of sin. Last two, desire the gifts that He would give you. It's easy, especially if you don't have a charismatic background, it's easy to be afraid of some of the gifts. God knows you really well. Right? His gifts are gifts. You can trust Him and simply say, Lord, however you would, use me. Use me. I trust you, use me. Um, encourage you to earnestly desire whatever gifts the Spirit would give you. And finally, gather together frequently. Friend, we are each individually temples of the Holy Spirit, but together we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God does something different when we gather than when we scatter. There's a presence of God available when two or more gather the presence of God available when his church comes together that we don't get to experience on our own. We do get the presence of God on our own, but there's something different and it's often something more when we gather. And so for the sake of your walk with the Spirit, for the sake of the presence of God that I know you long to have, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Gather together on Sundays. Gather together in care group and together look to God. Say, fill us afresh.